Welcome back to another edition of the Border Wars Podcast, Episode 3. Who would have thought we would have made it this far? Not me. <laughs> not, not me. Three weeks. It's, it's the most committed I've been to anything in a long time. <laughs> yeah, this is basically the, uh, the, this is the only commitment I have right now. Yeah. Who needs a girlfriend when you've got a podcast? The boys. The boys. Well, uh, another week of uh, stay-at-home orders in place, Kansas and Missouri. So another day of trying to find ways to occupy the day. And thank God for the last dance, which uh, we got another airing of two episodes last night. They did not disappoint. I think it's even more entertaining than it was hyped up to be. And we are ready to discuss. So, Smitty, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think, you know, to your point, um, you know, of them not disappointing, I think I was more excited about uh, diving deeper into who Dennis Rodman was than I was with Scottie Pippen. I think Scottie Pippen was kind of a plain Jane kind of guy, but Dennis Rodman was and still is, you know, that mystery man of, you know, who is he? Um, the worm. Yeah, the worm. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was interesting to, you know, learn a little bit about him. You know, him, he's basically, you know, homeless, um, from what it sounds like and, uh, ended up going to Southeastern Oklahoma state and playing there and then getting picked up. Um, yeah, he was just really kind of a, a defensive minded guy. Um, and something that I kind of wanted to ask you guys about is, um, you know, you saw in episode three, he was just in the beginning, he was kind of this really young and naive kid. And then now he is what he is today. And, um, you know, they talk about the uh, Detroit Pistons being the perennial bad boys. Do you guys think that, you know, Detroit kind of caused him to be the the person he is today, you know, compared to what he was, you know, this young kid when he came into the NBA? Yeah, I, I actually have some some pretty big thoughts on this. Um, if you don't mind me taking it, Sawyer. Um, so Dennis Rodman is definitely one of the more intriguing characters in, in basketball history um, because he did two things really well. He played defense and he rebounded like his life depended on it. Um, and I think that when he came out of Southeast Oklahoma State, and was brought into the Pistons locker room. He was this innocent young kid who had kind of never seen the world before. He grew up in Texas. Mom kicked him out at 18. He worked, ran this, uh, walked the streets for like two or three years before some coach just saw him playing in a gym and offered him a scholarship. And I think it was really a family atmosphere in that Pistons locker room. I think after the 91 finals, the wheels kind of started to fall off. And a lot of that had to do with Coach Daly leaving the team in 1992. And for those who have kind of watched, uh, there's an individual documentary on Dennis Rodman on ESPN. And Chuck Daly was like the father that Dennis Rodman never had. He was there for him. He embraced who he was as a person. He took interest in him. And he helped him become the type of player that could contribute to a, to a championship team. And then when Dennis lost that relationship, when Daly left, he was traded to San Antonio. He didn't have that father figure there. He was just kind of expected to keep on doing the same job he had done in Detroit, which was defend and rebound. But his whole sideshow of acting out came with it. And in between that, 
There's also a suicide attempt that he plays down pretty heavy uh, mm-hmm. in the parking lot at the Palace of Auburn Hills, where he was in the car with, with, with a rifle and basically falling asleep probably saved his life. Um, then he goes to, from San Antonio to Chicago. And you see the same equation kind of take place where you have Phil Jackson, who, like Chuck Daly, is a very unique coach. And he takes Dennis under his wing and molds him into the type of player they need to win championships. So I don't think that the Pistons necessarily corrupted Dennis. I think the circumstances that surrounded the team after the 92 season definitely had a big impact on Dennis Rodman. So... I don't know that it was the players on that team. I just think the environment shifted so drastically after that championship team that had been to the Eastern Conference Finals and finally got over the hump and, and won in 89 and 90. I think losing Chuck Daly to you know another team really affected Dennis on a big level. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think another thing, too, is you know they, they briefly touched, touched on it uh, in, the, in the show is um, when he was dating Madonna, you know, Madonna really kind of encouraged him to, to, uh, to be, you know, who he felt he was. And I think that's kind of when he started getting into the, you know, the crazy hairstyles, the nose ring, yeah, right. you know, all, all, all that stuff. So I think, I, I, no, I think he, and I think he almost kind of went from one extreme to another, you know, he was this, you know, young, naive kid to now he's this, you know, monster as as he liked to say you know in the in the show that he created um the fuck up you know, partying yeah the fuck up guy you know and i i think that was like one of my favorite quotes i you know i put a lot of quotes in this uh in this rundown but i think uh that's one of my favorite quotes by gary payton you know the fuck up guy just come yeah. in and, and and fuck shit up and yeah um <laughs> and that, that's high yeah. from gary payton because gary payton is one of the best on ball defenders of all time and for him to give credit and to, to put Dennis Rodman up there in that category. That's, that's high praise. I mean, Dennis led the league at rebounding seven straight years in a row, a feat that has never been done since. And he's one of two players to ever have 20 rebounds in a game with zero points. The other player was Marcus Camby. Dennis did it like 17 times, and Camby <laughs> did it once or twice. But it definitely wasn't on the level of Dennis. But Sawyer, what were you going to say? I mean... Talk about like one of the most cerebral people, like just all over the board. Who would, I mean, the thing I had no idea he dated Madonna, and that for me was more like the most mind blowing thing I've seen on the show. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like in, I don't know in my mind, like growing up, being born in the '90s, you, I mean, just this view you hold of Madonna as just this wild woman who makes out with what Britney Spears on At the VMA. You know, that was like she's got to be in her late thirties, early forties, or maybe even fifties, just making out with Britney Spears. And I mean, it makes sense that she would date someone like Dennis Rodman, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, I don't know if you guys saw this today, but Bill Simmons said on uh, the Ringer, the Bill Simmons podcast, or whatever, that there's no like what he was asking what makes Dennis Rodman interesting, and he was basically saying that there's nothing interesting about Dennis Rodman. And I think that's one of the wildest things I've ever heard because Dennis Rodman was one of the most interesting American athletes in the last 30 years between, you know, him, you know, going to Vegas for four days, you know, like in the middle of the season, wearing a wedding dress, 
uh, like all the <laughs> antics, the hair, everything. everything. And he's friends with the presumed late supreme leader of North Korea, Kim Jong Un. <laughs> like, who? What isn't interesting about him? Like, I, I challenge Bill Simmons to tell me one thing about Dennis Rodman that's not interesting because his whole life is interesting. What's well, it's also Bill Simmons, and he's probably salty that he's not a he wasn't a Boston Celtic. I guarantee if he ended up being a Boston Celtic, that Bill Simmons would have been on, down on two knees when he was talking about him. Uh, <laughs> Look at this guy, I and mean, he's crazy. He's the work. His dude, I actually loved Bill Simmons' website before he joined. Was it ESPN? Yeah, yeah. His website was so great. Um, but anyway, uh, it was Rodman that Jordan had to go get at Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Like that. That was also probably number two on my list of craziest things I I saw was like of all the people, man, you're picking Michael Jordan to go in there and get this guy. I, I guarantee Michael stopped at a few craps tables for one or two hours. <laughs> was like, Dennis, I'll meet you I'll meet you here at five, but give me a little bit of time to do my thing. Yeah. You know, I, you, know, I, I, you know what I mean? It's just like Michael's like, the, I ain't doing that all shit, the, but secretly he's like pumped to be going to Vegas. He's like, I ain't doing that shit, Phil. Yeah, I yeah. And I think heat. it speaks to, uh, and I'm sure it speaks to Jordan, like the level of reverence that people held Jordan to, because I guarantee, you know, not, there's not, I mean, if you send Steve Kerr, you think that, you think uh, Robin's going to listen to Steve Kerr, you know? I'm not even sure if Steve Kerr is on the team at that time, I don't remember, but uh I think it speaks to like uh, who Jordan is as a person. Like, uh, you know, it's one of those guys who, if he says something, you're gonna listen to him. Yeah. You know, if he tells you to quit fucking around, you're all right. I'll quit fucking around. Yeah. Well, um, and I think another thing, uh-huh. another thing too is is Jordan didn't uh, you know judge Rodman for for any of that. You know, he he basically went out yeah. and got him and said, all right, you had your you had your fun, you you extended your stay, and I'll get yeah. the fuck back to practice. You know. Yeah. And then he shows up. And yeah, it'd be like, man, I really feel like we are friends with our own Dennis Rodman in the way that we're friends with Josh Pomantuan. And, like, <laughs> I, I feel Bill Simmons, to a point, to people who are listening don't know this kid. He's just, like, the most erratic um, individual I've ever met. And if you told me he did anything, I'd be like, yeah, man, I, I believe it. Like, And I could see how Bill Simmons said he's not interesting because, like, from afar, those people are. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Bill Simmons wasn't friends with them, but from afar, you're like, I wonder how these people tick. You know, what makes him do these things? But when you're near them, you're like, I don't think it. You know, they just excite me. I think they just enjoy having a good time. You know, they chase that thrill. So I don't think. I don't know. Like the psychology behind it is interesting. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but we have our own Dennis Rodman as a friend, and it's a goddamn trip every day of every week. Yeah. I mean, just the, the energy that, I mean, yeah. that people like that bring, it's like hot. You can't, yeah. it's like, a, it's kind of like what Chuck Daly said. You don't put a saddle on a Mustang, you know, you just, you just, you just Let hold on and go for the ride, man. Yeah. And I'm sure on the court, it brings a whole new level of, of energy. I mean, we've all been there where like someone on the team is, is on that level and you're like, fuck, I got to match them. I got to yeah. get there. And, and to have. I'm sure I'm, transpires and to have got like not just dennis but you've got a guy like michael who asks for your very best every single night you've got a guy like scotty who is just probably the best 
number two option in NBA history and who has his own, you know, motivations. You're, you're brushing with greatness. And then on top of that, you have this psycho T just crazy monster energy guy, Dennis Rodman. And some of those rebounds were just sheer will of him batting that ball up in the air until he was able to secure it. I mean, that combination, you know, you wonder how successful it would be the NBA today, but back then, man, there, it's hard to beat that three at any point in NBA history, de- definitely during the 90s. No, and what I, what I loved about Dennis Rodman is, like, even as crazy, you know, as he was outside of the game, but when he was inside the game, he was a completely different animal, I guess, but the same beast. You know, he was still crazy, but he, he took more of a, uh, an analytic to it. You know, they show him sitting in the locker room watching uh, the other team's players and then him talking about having his friends in the gym at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., you know, just sh- shooting the ball and, and missing on purpose just so he can figure out the spin of the ball. I thought that was, you know, it takes it takes that type of mentality to to be as good of a rebounder as he was, you know, of trying to figure out where the ball is going to go from from the rim. Yeah, he has like a PhD in rebounding. I mean, the way he was talking about the different players and if it's Bird from this angle, it comes off this way. If it's Michael on short on this side, it's coming here. I mean, he knew the trajectory of not only his opponents, but his teammates so that he was able to get those offensive rebounds. He knew the angles and where to be and how to get position. I mean, it it was crazy just to hear him talk about it. I could listen to Dennis Rodman. I could listen to him talk about just rebounding for an hour and the technique and the way that he just did it so differently because he had to. He had to make up for it. He was six six. I mean, he, he had to make up for it somehow. And just his technical focus, you wouldn't expect a character like Dennis Rodman to bring that aspect of basketball into a game. And that, to your point, Mike, is what's so impressive. Yeah, and I think another thing too, going back yep. to to Michael Jordan, uh, you know, being the leader who he was, is you know they showed in the in the in the show that. There were times when Dennis Rodman would lose focus. I don't think anybody in the NBA at the time could have got the most out of Dennis Rodman the way Michael Jordan did. Yeah, totally agree. Especially at that point in his career. I mean, Dennis had been around at that point for, you know, in 98, 12, 12 seasons. I mean, for a guy like that that plays at that level of physicality, you would think that maybe they're starting to be a little washed up. But that was Rodman at his absolute best, you know, in his early 30s. And because uh, he came in the NBA late, I mean, he played for, I mean, he was like 24 when he came into the league. So you think that like 80, that's 85 or 86, 98. That's so he's like in his, he's probably like 34, 30, 36 years old at that point. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to, for, to be doing it at that level at that age, it's crazy. But uh, I just to kind of shift gears, the way that the, the documentary has kind of been working is it kind of takes you in and out of 98, which I like. And it kind of highlights the trajectory of Michael while also making sure the guys who are pretty integral along the way get their due. So you kind of saw that moment in 1989. We talked, they, uh, they showed the highlights of the game against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference semifinals that sent them to their first ever Eastern Conference finals against the Pistons. Uh, and I think if anyone's been like, you know, a fanboy or watched highlights of Jordan religiously, that shot to defeat the Pistons or defeat the Cavaliers in game five 
is one of the most iconic moments in his career. Between that, the shot against Russell, and his North Carolina national championship game winner, I mean, that's it. I mean, him three dribbles across the front top of the key, lift, seems like he's in the air for an eternity, and sinks that shot over Craig Elo. I thought it was so interesting. Mike, you noted that the best guy to guard him on the floor at that point, and they talked about it in the documentary, was Ron Harper. And he didn't even get a chance to do it. They put Craig Elo on him. Yeah, Ron Harper said, fuck this bullshit. He was <laughs> he was hot. And and that could have changed that could have changed the game completely. I mean, if Ron Harper was on Jordan, who knows if that shot even goes up. Mm-hmm. And who knows what the trajectory of the team is after that. You know, they don't get that experience playing the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. Michael doesn't isn't subjected to that abuse. He doesn't weight train. He doesn't do all the necessary things he needs to do to beat that team to get over the hump. Maybe it sets that team back a year. Maybe the Pistons win again in 91 because Michael hasn't taken, you know, the beating, the two years of just a sheer beatdown that he took in 89 and 90. So that shot, I mean, changed the, the league, I mean, presumably for the next for the next three or four years. I mean, it's the butterfly effect, so every little moment could change something, you know, in the future. But who knows what happens if Michael misses that shot. And I, I think for me personally, at least, uh, what's been the funnest about this documentary outside of, you know, all the quotes and all the stories is just seeing the Bulls, you know, grow uh, and, and see how the team has, you know, just continues to build, you know, getting over the hump of, uh, of finally beating Detroit, you know, and just getting the shit beat out of them each and every game. It was it was kind of like watching a kid grow and mature, you know, if you will. And, um, you know, it was... I think that's just been the, the most fun for me to see them, you know, finally getting that last shot and, and beating Cleveland, uh, you know, to go on and, and getting that uh, first, you know, playoff uh, series victory. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you wonder if in today's climate of sports, you know, we're in such a win now culture that, especially in the NBA, that who knows if you give a team like that five, six, years to develop and mold like that before you know people are asking for trades they blow the whole thing up but it didn't work we could get this guy in here i mean it really was a grassroots build from the bottom up that the bulls did and you know as much as he's made out to be a villain in this series jerry Krause came in in 85 drafted scotty pippen brought in the guys put together the parts Brought in Phil Jackson, um, who, Mike, you want to get into a little bit about Phil Jackson's tenure initially as an assistant with Tex. Uh, I mean, that he, Krause was the engineer and the architect of that whole thing. Um, and as much as they, you know, talk about him being a villain, trying to blow it up at the end, he was there for 13 years and gave Michael, you know, put together those teams for him. So, I mean, that... Yeah, no, that, I think, you know, to echo echo your echo your point is you know you know i think it was the first episode they were really you know making fun of jerry cross but he really you know i think deserves a, a little bit more credit than he than he's getting just because he is kind of portrayed as this villain and, and he did it to himself you know he ended up tearing down this team but um you know he basically went from one extreme to another you know he he did put all these pieces here he got phil jackson to come and mentor under uh tex winner you know which that was huge <laughs> when when he when uh, when they showed him on 
on on the TV. I shot straight up and just like you know, shout out K State, which and that's the thing, you know, KU is credited with with creating basketball, but I think K State should be credited with perfecting the offense, you know, yeah. the offensive side of the ball because the triangle offense it, it's still used today. I mean, it, it pretty much transcended, um, you know, the way basketball is played. Yeah. Shout Mike, out. I honestly out thought that statement was sarcastic, but I think you truly believe it. <laughs> Revolution as the game. Who knows? Hey, you know, you got to get your peace where you can. Yeah. I'll show you. Um, so as we see this kind of story progressing, you, we know how it ends. We know that the team breaks up. We know Scotty eventually comes back, which they showed in episode four. But I didn't know that. Yeah, Scotty comes back. <laughs> <laughs> what? You really... Imagine being somebody who doesn't know how it ends. That would Spoken. be... Yeah. Honestly, I didn't. I didn't know that the before watching this that the they broke up the way they did. I just, just, I don't know what I assumed, but I never looked into it before. Yeah, I mean, there, that run. I mean, we were kids. We were like young. We were in like seven and nine at that time when the Bulls finally like ended. But I want to go back, just backtrack a little bit. I know we're kind of all over the place, but that's kind of how the documentary is. I feel like it's so good. It's so interesting, but it's kind of hard to see sometimes where they're at in the timeline. I mean, they show it and they run yeah, it, it was, and they run it forward. It was uh, funky. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you really have to pay attention. Yeah. In the 1991 Eastern Conference Finals, the first time the Bulls make it to the finals, they defeat the, the uh, Detroit Pistons. It's been all in the news today because, of course, there's no – current news so they have to talk about shit that happened 25 years ago to keep stuff interesting but when the pistons left the floor before the game was over and chose not to shake the hands of the bulls after losing to them 4-0 in the eastern conference finals in 1991 after the bulls had endured two years of beatdowns shook their hand after both those losses and said good luck the pistons basically just Gave him the cold shoulder and walk off the floor. What were your guys' thoughts on that? Do you think you we would see that today? Dude, that that for me is like one of the biggest pet peeves I have in sports when people do that. Um, it's just like so disrespectful, and I think it speaks to to the character of the individuals doing it. Because um, like, I mean, we you know when you play sports, yeah, I'm I'm pissed when I lose, but whatever happens on the court for the most part almost 95% of the time doesn't carry over off the court. And, um, this, it's a big thing in soccer. Like managers will like leave the field before the game, the ref even blows like the final whistle. And then like Jose Mourinho is and Pep Guardiola, two of the biggest coaches in the world. And it just like infuriates the hell out of me. So I'm like, dude, show like a, a bit of respect. It's not, you know, it's just, it's a, for me, it's a, it's character flaw and it's, it's gamesmanship, and I can't stand when people do that. It's just like, uh, and it happens all the time in the NBA now. Like when the Cavs, the last time the Cavs and Warriors played in the finals, I don't think teams shook hands one time. There like wasn't one show of respect between the two teams. Uh, I don't know. It, it well, bugs the hell out of me. I think I think uh, Horace Grant said it said it best. Just straight up bitches, you know. 
Um, I think, you know, going back to talking about the triangle offense, the Bulls finally figured out how to beat Detroit in that because Detroit's game plan was the Jordan rules. It was Jordan. If Jordan does not get up and does not, does not get up in the air, keep him. Yeah. Keep him down on the ground. And I think it it came down to Detroit's game plan was we're going to stop Michael Jordan at all costs. Well, then you, you introduce this triangle offense where you're spreading the ball around a lot more um, and more people are open. That was the way to beat Detroit. and, And they just got smacked. And, for them to do that was it's just bush league, you know. To to your point, um, look at look at Magic Johnson when they when they show him and they interview him after after the Bulls win the, win that championship. He says, "If I'm gonna lose, that's how that's the way I want to lose to Michael Jordan." You know, yeah. it, 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 you talk about character. That's that's the character of of, of you know Isaiah Thomas and, and those guys. And then look at the character of, of someone like Magic Johnson and wonder why Magic Johnson's a better player than Isaiah Thomas, you know, and, yeah. and not, nothing against him. He's a good ball player, but I, I think that that's where you see the difference between the two. And the, the feeling, they've made it clear those feelings still carry over today. I mean, between Bill Lambeer and Isaiah Thomas, I don't think Michael's forgiven either one of them for what happened. He certainly didn't in the short term. Um, in 1992, when they were assembling the Dream Team, Isaiah Thomas was famously left off that list of players that played. And Michael was one of the last guys to commit to the dream team when they were putting it together. Chuck Daly was famously the coach of that 92 dream team. And one of the conditions upon Michael playing for the dream team in 92 was that he didn't want Isaiah on the team. And it was directly related. He said it in a documentary, a different interview about it. He said, the reason I didn't want Isaiah on there was for the shit that happened back in 90 in the Eastern conference finals. So, I mean, Isaiah, that petty shit he pulled cost him an opportunity to be a part of arguably the greatest basketball team ever ever assembled. Because you swap out John Stockton, who was a great point guard in his own right, but was nowhere near as accomplished as Isaiah Thomas was in 92. You missed a chance to be an icon, a global icon, because that's what all those guys on that 92 Dream Team became. They became, and Sawyer, you touched on it last week, they became... Like people in France, Michael Jordan, like, you know, all the, like people identified those people and could, and could pick them out. And Isaiah lost that chance all because of some petty bullshit that Bill Lambeer didn't want to shake their hands after, after that, that Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, I understand part of it is a team, your brothers, you do stuff, it's a brotherhood, you're a family, you do stuff together. But man, I mean, you see every, every football game. You know, in the NFL, I mean, yeah, you see some you, Trent Williams, Richard Sherman post-game fights occasionally in that handshake. But those guys always go out after a grueling 60 minutes of just beating the absolute shit out of each other, shaking each other's hand and go along the way. And for Lambeer and Isaiah to pull some petty shit like that, after they had just won twice and they had put the Bulls in their place, to what you said about Magic, if anyone's going to beat me, I want it to be the greatest ever play that greatest ever lace him up and i just you know tip my hat to him but that wasn't the culture yeah. that they fostered in detroit so i understand it but at the same time like horace grant said they some bitches yeah i mean like look at hockey for an example after every single game and that's a grueling physical sport as well after every game those guys are on the ice hugging each other and i think what that does, like that show sportsmanship after a game, 
I think this, and this might seem like a stretch, but I think it creates the arena in the area that you're playing in as this like sacred ground where, uh, you know, this differing of, of opinions on the court or on the ice or on the field, whatever it is, um, you battle it out. And then when it's over with, man, it's over. And, yeah. and your, your bond with that opponent is stronger for it, in my opinion. Um, I mean, that's a bond you'll have with the, with those people that you can't find anywhere else in the world mm-hmm. and that you won't ever have in any other walks of life. And I think it sucks when people carry it beyond the court and beyond the game. Yeah. So I think it's like a, a really good opportunity of fellowship that people miss out yeah. on. And, and, and Isaiah completely burned a bridge there because you look at the guys that were on that 92 dream team. A lot of those guys are people that Michael went to battle with every single year, whether it was Ewing, Barkley, Bird, Magic. Magic. Those were the guys that he had to go up against every year. And he talked about it was a unique opportunity for him to get to know the guys he put it all out. That's really cool. Every night. But he wasn't willing to put that shit to bed with Isaiah. Because it was, I mean, it it was just, there's no other way to put it. They were just, yeah, they were bitching about it. It, it, it. I I really don't have the words to describe, like, how like offensive that would be to like if that if that were me like I'd want to fight him if they didn't come shake my hand at the end of a game like I'd want well, to. Well, and a, I I think what was a little bit more satisfying for the Bulls is uh, they had to the Pistons had to walk by them yeah to go to the locker room and so you know if that's me if I if I'm on the Bull bench because I'm definitely not a starter at that point <laughs> but. Is you know I'm I'm just giving them the biggest shitting grin ever and just yeah. and, and to the point just yeah get get the fuck out of here yeah. you just got yep, your ass whipped you know and yeah exactly it's it's just like watching you know like a, a dog with its tail tucked in between its legs you yeah. know no dignity right do you think uh do you think anybody in the major leagues will ever shake an Astros hand again <laughs> that's gonna be crazy yeah I I don't. I don't see that. I mean, well, baseball games now, you know, usually, uh, you know, they end the whatever team wins, they don't shake hands. You know, I think baseball is a little bit of a different story, but nowadays at least. Yeah. But no slap ass at first or anything like that. I don't think anyone's going to be too friendly with Altuve when he's chilling on first. No, how's your family? How's everything going? I think they're old shoulder and some heaters right up in the, in the face area. uh, Come the start of baseball, whenever that, that comes around well we just did a hard pivot into baseball and we're gonna do another hard pivot out of baseball and out of the last dance we're embodying the the direction of the uh last dance just floating around you know what i'm saying (laughs) just jumping around everywhere sorry Sorry, well okay before we shift gears the last thing i know we've got a rundown we've kind of jumped all over the place how good did Carmen Electra still look? Even like, I don't know how old she is, but damn, she looks like she's 30. Dude, I... Still would. Man, it's kind of hard to, to come up with words right now. Yeah, she, like, this is where I give even more respect to Dennis Rodman. Not only did you just bag Madonna, who was arguably like the Michael Jordan of pop at the time, but... Now, then you then you switch and go to Carmen Electra, like he upgraded big time. Right. And I I, I, I was like reading a, I was reading a, I was reading a tweet like earlier 
that like Carmel Electra was was telling somebody how like Dance Robin would take her to the arena and they'd they'd fucking locker room on the court, you know, just everywhere. She was like, we were like kids in a candy shop. I'm like, dude, legend. She is aged like a fine wine. She looks incredible. For four, she's 48 years old. Oh my god. I think I'm gonna try to stay single till I'm 48. <laughs> ah, good luck, dude. I'm playing the long game right now. You're a couple yeah. years off, right? <laughs> yeah. 18 years? My hairline says I'm I'm about 20 days away from it. <laughs> well, uh, Smitty, was there anything else on the last dance you wanted to talk about? No. Um, you know, I think we hit it. Uh, actually, I do. What was your guys' speaking of Dennis Rodman, favorite his favorite hairstyle, like hair color? I've got one that sticks in my mind, and it, like my favorite of his hairstyles was the the black and green, like the neon green with the black like spots or whatever. I remember seeing that as a kid, and I thought that was so badass. Like, yeah, I, I would love to do that with my hair. Lime green, lime yeah, green, a little black. I'm gonna have to agree. As much as I know, we're supposed to like come up with our our own different choices here. It's either that or the um, I loved when he did like the red and black complemented with the blue or with the red and white Bulls jerseys, the red and black. I mean, that was that. was Yeah, I, I would say like honorable mention for me with the two other ones that I really liked was um, <coughs> was the threes that he did yeah. for Scottie Pippen for when he, that was probably my second favorite. And then I do like when he did the Bulls logo on the back mm-hmm. of his head. It was pretty simple, but it looked badass. Yeah. The guy just knew how to catch people's attention. And, I mean, I guess it's I'm, it's hard to describe him in words because he is, to go back to this, he is just such a unique individual. There will never be an athlete like him. And, yeah, I think the lime green for me, I don't know where I'm going with that, but the lime green for me, by far my favorite with Sawyer. All right, well, let's shift gears. And uh, besides the last dance, it's like we've been spoiled this weekend, um, yeah. starting Thursday night with the draft and the last dance. So uh, I'm sporting my Chiefs gear, representing the reigning Super Bowl champs. I got my Arrowhead background on. Uh, and I'm pumped after the, uh, the draft that the Chiefs just had, at least at the top three, our first three picks. I think we addressed a lot of needs. I think we had a luxury at number one. But let's just go through the the picks kind of one by one and talk about. I know we don't we don't have to do the later round guys, but we can at least do the first three picks. Um, kind of talk about. We can talk about the you know the fourth, fifth, and seventh round picks as well. But I really want to get into Edwards Alaire, Gay Jr., and Lucas Niang out of Texas uh, Christian. Um, I think those are going to be some pretty integral parts of the team going forward. So let's start with our first pick. Number 32 in the first round, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of LSU, the reigning national champs. Smitty, initial thoughts, Smitty Ansler, initial thoughts on the fit and us kind of maybe jumping ahead of two guys who are presumed to go ahead of him in Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift and taking Alaire Edwards, who presumably is more of a scheme fit for the Chiefs. Um, 
Yeah, for me, like my initial, like my gut reaction was I did not like it, to be honest. Um, in my opinion, I would have liked to seen the Chiefs get a cornerback or um, even a linebacker at that position, uh, maybe even an offensive lineman, just depending on where they wanted to go. I just felt that, you know, Damian Williams is, is serviceable. You know, it, it, the Chiefs offense is already good. How much better can it really be? Like, because we have the best at almost every position, um, you know, how much better are you going to make it? by just by grabbing running back in the first round. Um, but the more I, the more I watched the tape on him, you know, I ended up, I love it. You know, um, I think my philosophy would have been protect Pat Mahomes by getting an offensive lineman, but obviously Veach's uh, perspective was let's get him some more weapons, which they, I mean, this, this offense was, was hard to stop as it was good luck. Now, um, just the scat back, I know a lot of people have compared him to uh, kind of like a Darren Sproles, if you will. I had to do a little K-State name drop. But, um, you know, this, that short scat back kind of guy, um, just watching his cuts, it, he's just his lateral movement is insane. Um, you know, and he was obviously going against some of the best defenses in the, in the nation. So that, that says a lot. Um, I think he can, he can be a player that can come in and pick up the playbook really quickly. Um, that's something that somebody had mentioned earlier that, that I thought was a good point is, um, you know, if there's not going to be any OTAs this season, um, you need somebody that can kind of come in and, and pick up the playbook uh, rather quickly. And it sounds like he he's kind of got that that football IQ that he can come in and do that. Um, I don't know much about his pass blocking. I don't think he's going to be used a lot in the in the pass blocking game. I think he you know is going to be more used as a as a screen or or even he can even line up. Um, in the outside position if he needs to. So I don't think that's a big knock, but maybe that's something that he can, he can, um, you know, improve on. But one thing I do get a little worried about is watching his jukes and his cuts is like, how much wear and tear is he going to be able to take? Because, you know, nowadays there's so much non contact ACL tears. I get worried just watching his cuts are very vicious, which are, are good, but I mean, you know, who knows he can have the healthiest career ever, but that's just something I, I'm a little worried about, but I didn't really like it at first. I thought there were some other issues or some other areas that the, the chiefs could have addressed, but I don't, I don't hate it. Um, if I were to grade it, I, I would probably give it a, a B, you know, I don't think he's anything crazy spectacular like uh, Christian McCaffrey, but he's going to come in and, and be able to make an impact real quick. Yeah. Sir, do you have any initial thoughts? Yeah. I mean, nothing I say is going to sound very original or far off from what we've all, or any Chiefs fans have really heard, but I, for whatever reason, I really like Jonathan Taylor. I was, if we we're going to draft a running back, um, I mean, that school just produces running backs somehow. They, it seems like every other couple of years, they're, they've got a first round running back. Uh, but, but he seems like more of a pro style running back for, and I mean, we, we spread the ball out a little bit more. Um, uh, no, I think everything I've seen, he, he seems to play out of the backfield really well, and I think that's extremely dangerous for other teams. I think, you know, look at Kareem Hunt. He had so much productivity just catching the ball. Um, mm. It's I think he can – I think he can mimic that, maybe potentially be better. I don't know. It's, it's – you know, that predictive quality is almost an, impossible to, to make assumptions on, but I think he could be really nice. Um, but in terms of, like, that being our first-round pick – you know, I mean, everyone else expected at least a cornerback, but there were six or seven already taken off the board. So, you know, if, if you're going up against, like, the value of that that pick, a, a late first round 
versus the value of what one of those cornerbacks were sitting at. I think it's a pretty pretty solid pick, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I didn't get to watch any of it. I just had to look at all the recaps. Uh, and, you know, that was – imagine betting on no running backs in the first round and the 32nd pick <laughs> of all the teams, of like the offensive juggernaut, and they pick a running back. Yeah. I'd be pissed. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. One thing I, I feel like has changed in the last five or six years, maybe shorter of a time span, is like the the value of that position in the draft. Um, I mean, who the last couple of running backs we've seen go really early. What, Winter Fournette, right? He was – I don't remember what he was drafted to that, but I remember him coming out of LSU. He was – a monster and then uh, Saquon and Zeke and the, those are really solid action team but like in, in terms of overall the, the lifespan of that position just because of the nature of it compared to how that productivity produces victories for a team I think is marginal and I think we've seen it in the draft where less and less running backs are being picked in those positions. I mean, look how good Saquon and Zeke are and look at their teams. I mean, Dallas made the playoffs, but like they're not like dominating anybody. Um, right. So I think it's, it's interesting to see that position, how it's, and I mean, those guys aren't even getting paid. Like, you know, a running back has a great three, four years on a rookie contract and it's hard for him to get money. Like look at Melvin Gordon and look at Le'Veon Bell. Like it's, I almost feel bad. I'm, I mean, I don't feel bad for them because they're making millions, but, like, they're kind of, like, up shit's creek in that position almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think that's in, why it's, it's – sorry, what were you going to say? No, go ahead. I think that's why it's challenging when you're the Chiefs because you never know what the shelf life is going to be. But so you also don't way. want – you don't want your – so say something catastrophic happens to Damian Williams, God forbid. You know, you're looking at a backfield that has – now DeAndre Washington, Darwin Thompson, and I don't even know if Darrell Williams is still under contract. That's not a backfield that gives me a lot of confidence for a long term. So now you stake all of your, you know, success on one, you know, or at least in the running game, on one guy's ability to stay healthy. And as we've seen from Damian Williams historically, you know, he gets nicked up a little bit. Uh, I think from an insurance policy standpoint, a running back was probably Probably were going to be good running backs still available down the line, but you weren't going to have Swift available after, you know, after the first couple of picks of the second round. You weren't going to have Jonathan Taylor available after the first couple of picks after the second round, and Alaire Edwards or Edwards Alaire weren't wasn't going to be available after the first couple of picks of the second round. And then you're left. I think the next best running back was Utah's running back, and he had a lot of injury history. So I think if from a scheme fit perspective. You know, kind of to echo what Smitty said, I think he really fits kind of the zone read of what we do from an offensive standpoint. His visit, his vision in the backfield, he does make those hard cuts, but he does see, you know, the defense coming at him and what's in front of him so well. Um, I was really, mean. He's mean. Yeah. He, he runs over people. Yeah. Like he is mean. I was in love with DeAndre Swift going into this draft. And that's partly because in my Madden, like franchise dynasty, whatever, uh, that I like started simulating or like playing like probably four or five months ago. 
I drafted DeAndre Smith or DeAndre Swift with the 32nd overall pick in the first round. Did you make yourself? No, I I played. Did you make it on your Randolph Junior? No, 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 no. I loaded. You can load the draft (laughs) class. And my yeah. first pick in the, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the first round, 32nd pick was DeAndre Swift. So that was really Should the only reason I really wanted him. Um, but I do think, to Smitty's point, it was like, oh, who is this guy? But then more and more, I broke down the film, the scheme fits of what we try and do offensively, him swinging out of the backfield. Um, I think this Darren Sproles comparison is good, but I think he does a lot more because he is such a bruiser to what Sawyer said. I think he's a more physical runner than Sproles. And, you know, yeah, hopefully his knees hold up, but I think short term, what we're trying to do in 2021 is repeat, or 2020, 2021 is repeat what we did last year. And I think a big part of that is going to be a little, be a little bit more um, of a threat in the ground game. Not to say we weren't last year, but having a true three down running back like Edward Delaire, I think adds a scarily enough, and this may sound cocky, a whole new dimension to our offense that maybe we didn't have last year. I mean, Damian Williams was fantastic down the stretch, but he wasn't, we didn't get those type of performances every game. They, he got those performances when it counted, but I think Edward Delaire can take a lot of pressure off this offense right away. So I'm excited to see him. Um, yeah, I can. I completely agree with that. And I think, like to your point, you know, with with Swift and and Taylor, is there really wasn't much separation between those guys and and uh, Edwards Allaire. Um, I think it just came down to which of those players best fit the offense that we have, and and I don't see how any of those other guys could compare to Edwards Allaire and in this type of offense that we're trying to run. I think. Uh, Pro Fantasy Football had him as the 13th best player, regardless of position. And then he was the third best player, excluding quarterbacks. So I think he was really undervalued. So I think this could be a, a, a pretty big um, grab, like what you were talking about, Tommy, for the long term. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is a guy that, because that, after this season, I think Dane Williams, you let him walk, and, and Alaire has already developed that workhorse. You're not losing much. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go on to the uh, second pick. Um, this was the pick. Uh, no, that was the next one. Sorry, this was the second pick in the or the our second pick in the second round. Um, Willie Gay out of Mississippi State, um, freak athlete, but a guy that comes with some off the field issues. Um, and I'll just go into those specifically real quick. Um, he got an eight game suspension at Mississippi State for academic fraud. Uh, don't really know the details of that, but anytime you're getting into academic fraud, uh, dishonesty, that kind of stuff, that raises some issues. And then there was also rumors that he allegedly was in a fight in the locker room that resulted in um, the, an injuring of the starting quarterback for the Mississippi State Bulldogs before one of their bowl games. Um, so from a character standpoint, a lot of questions raised, but from an ability standpoint, um, a guy who is just a freak athletically. I think if you look at any of his negatives, a lot of it has to do with his athleticism that he either over pursues or takes bad angles to the runner. Um, And I think if you talk about a guy with off the field issues and an organization that is um, adept at dealing with those off the field issues, I think Andy Reid and the locker room and the culture he develops is perfectly fit for a guy like Willie Gay Jr. who may have some, you know, off the field past concerns. 
I think those are going to be things of the past with the way that the organization fosters a good culture for our for our athletes and for the guys in that organization. So those are my initial thoughts on Willie Gay Jr. I don't know what you guys thought about the pick. Uh, in terms of like, um, you know, whenever I hear, sorry, Mike, whenever I hear yeah, off the field issues or like with, you know, kids that age, it's always for me. It's I know I get annoyed when like people overanalyze it, and also it's stuff you got to take with a grain of salt. I mean, dude was like what 19, 20, 18, 19, 20, 21, maybe even twenty. I don't even know how old he is, but like academic fraud got caught cheating on a test yeah i cheated on plenty of tests in in college i i would have been academically ineligible and i still cheated so i mean just i think in analyzing those decisions uh, like academically for those students is for me is basically worthless because i mean they're in really high pressure environments um a lot of them are away from their home. A lot of them, it's the first time they've ever had any sort of responsibility in their life. Um, uh, so, I mean, I don't really, I, in my opinion, it's like tough to gauge someone's personality just on hearing that. Um, but like, and, and also in terms of like fighting a teammate, like who knows? I don't know. I don't know what happened. Was it James Blake who fought someone in Maryland? You guys ever see that video? Huh. No, I think oh. no. Wait, am I thinking of a tennis tennis player, James Blake? Uh, Steve Blake? What's his name? Steve Blake? Yes, yeah, Steve Blake. Yes, yeah, Steve Blake. Sorry, uh, he fought a teammate at Maryland in practice, which was pretty epic. I think it was a season they went to the, and lost in the national championship. But uh, anyway, I don't know. I just don't like buy into that stuff unless it's like something like you know, um, domestic assault or something like that, which it, for me is more serious and more of something you I, I would keep an eye on but it does speak to you know the actions and, and character of someone even if you're caught cheating on a test but uh everyone fucking cheated on exams in college for the most part at least some in some sort of way copying someone's homework anything um but with all that said i just wish that the nfl would make an exemption and um allow him to wear number 69 <laughs> yeah, that would be. I I said that in the group chat. I think it'd be awesome if there was a gay sixty nine jersey. Um, yeah, it'd be the fucking coolest. I might I might buy one. Honestly, I don't even have my home it. jersey. I might buy a gay sixty nine jersey. <laughs> very very sophomoric humor, but I think it'd be the dopest jersey in Arrowhead. You yeah. think people would think you're gay for wearing it? They'd I be like, "Is that guy gay?" Or I'm a badass for wearing it. Okay. Fair enough. Smitty thoughts. Um, for me, this I'm honestly this is the player I'm most excited about for this draft, um, just because of his pure ability. Um, I think the Chiefs really made a statement that they want they wanted to go out and they wanted to get speed all around, um, and, and and they hit it out of the park with that. Um, yeah, you know, going to cheating on a test. Yeah, I get it. We've all cheated on a test. So, but it's funny because we were just talking about Dennis Rodman. And Phil Jackson. Well, now, now you've got uh, uh, Willie Gay Jr. with Andy Reid. I, I don't, I, I don't think Willie Gay Jr. does well in any other organization other than Kansas City, just because of who Andy Reid is as a coach. But even going deeper into it, he's got players like Tyreek Hill and Tyron Matthew that have had, a, that did have a little bit off the field issues before coming into the league and have turned it around. Um, so you know, if I'm Willie Gay Jr. 
those are the two people I'm, I'm talking to first is Tyreek Hill and Tyron Matthew, you know, how to handle yourself uh, in that next level. But just he's he's a great coverage linebacker. And to your point, he his his pros are almost cons because he's so, so fast at times that he does end up over pursuing the ball. But I think we can all agree that linebacker was was the weakest position on the defensive side. And I think this is a guy that can come in and make an impact immediately. Um, I, I, I'm, I think I'm more excited about him and just his potential um, of what he can be with with his pure athleticism. I think the character, that's stuff that you can work on character. But, but speed, you can only get, you know, so you can only get so fast before you top out. But he's already got God given ability of how fast he ran i mean if um isaiah simmons wasn't in this year's draft i think he would he'd be talked about as as the fat one of the fastest players in in the combine yeah well shifting on to the third pick because i want to talk about the guy that i'm most excited about out of the draft and that is the uh pick that we got from san francisco in the d ford trade um third round pick and we drafted lucas nyang out of texas christian university And the reason I'm so excited is uh, actually from one quote from Chase Young. Chase Young was asked to identify the most difficult offensive tackle he faced during his collegiate career, and he identified Niang um, as the guy that gave him the most difficulty. And I think we can all agree that Chase Young is probably one of the biggest freaks athletically that we've seen coming into the draft in a long time, um, now playing for the Washington Redskins. For him to say that Lucas Niang was the most difficult matchup he had in his collegiate career, I think speaks volumes to the uh, type of talent that Yang could potentially be. Uh, I'm excited because I hope that he stays healthy. Injuries were a concern during his time at TCU, but I think we potentially have drafted a guy that will be p- protecting um, Patrick Mahomes' blindside after Eric Fisher's um, career is over for potentially the next decade. Or, you know, you see a shift of as Fisher ages, um, or sorry, Mitchell Swartz ages, uh, plug plug those guys in either left tackle or right tackle. I think the future of an offensive line, you can't put a premium on that, especially with the money that we're going to be, you know, backing up to Patrick Mahomes' house in Mission Hills here in a, in about 12 months uh, or even sooner. So I think uh, drafting a guy with such high pedigree as Nyang, uh, I'm really excited. And I know the offensive linemen, they're never a sexy pick. They're never the ones everyone gets excited for. Um, but I think this guy could really be integral in uh, – in an inexpensive way of protecting Mahomes for the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I think this is my second favorite player. Um, I think just because Clyde Edwards-Alaire, we, we already know what we're going to get with him, but um, I think I'm most excited about what Nian could be. Um, he seems like he's the type of, of um, offensive lineman that can play guard um, until, um, which I think is, is more of a need right now than, than at tackle for the immediate future. Um, but it sounds like he can play guard until that position at tackle opens up. Um, and something that, uh, that I don't think is getting a lot of credit is that he, he didn't give, give up a single sack in three seasons um, that he started at TCU, and he only committed three penalties while he's there. So I think you're getting a reliable guy. It sounds like his footwork could uh, use just a little bit more work, but um, for the most part, I think you know he can come in and, and get valuable playing time immediately. Yeah, definitely. Um, exciting pick. Again, offensive lineman, never sexy. But, yeah, I think you see that a lot um, with guys who have a high 
pedigree, but you don't really know where they fit, especially when you have established guys at positions already. Whether it's a guard or tackle, however he fits in that offense, uh, I'm really excited to see it. Um, right. Let's let's cover well, one, I think, more, one more pick. Uh, I was gonna, let me say something real quickly. Um, I think another thing, too, is going back to, you know, um, is developing these offensive linemen. They may not be the sexy pick, but these are the guys that you really can't afford to miss on. These are the guys that you need to hit on. I think you can miss on on a position like running back because they come at such a premium. But but it sounds like uh, I think that um, the Chiefs really hit with this guy that they can develop them. Yeah. So let's do one more pick in the interest of time. Um, Kendall Fuller obviously left the Chiefs. Um, in this offseason to re-sign with the Washington Redskins. It's left a glaring need for us at that slot corner position. Um, we already had Breland and Ward on the outside, with Ward having some ability to play that inside cornerback position, uh, slot corner position. Uh, but in round four, we kind of hopefully address that need with uh, taking Legereus Sneed out of Louisiana Tech. Um, from a physicality standpoint, I think he is somebody from a speed perspective, like you said, Smitty. We really wanted to address speed at every position this year, and we did it again with this pick at corner. Um, real quick, your guys' thoughts on, on Legereus Sneed, and then we'll jump into our KC uh, pick three. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about him to even make a comment. <laughs> I haven't got. I haven't looked at. We appreciate the honesty, Sawyer. No, I uh, yeah, I did a little bit of research on him too. Um, what I like most about him, outside of his speed, is that he can play the slot corner and he can play safety. So um, I think this is another guy that is is fairly raw, but um, I think he can get some playing time, and I, I think he's just going to progress immensely, getting getting that valuable playing time in the fact that he can play safety, he can play, he can basically play any position in the defensive backfield. And I think he'd be serviceable. I think his speed is going to allow him to make mistakes, um, if you will, just because that's going to, you know, he can make up for it in speed. Um, I was just watching him. I, I think he could uh, be pretty good on, uh, on special teams immediately. Um, but I think he's going to get uh, a decent amount of playing time. Um, I think these first four picks are basically the guys that I'm going to be watching like a Hawk for the entire preseason. Like I said, we, we already know what we got with, with our veterans that are coming back. But uh, these four guys are the ones that I'm going to definitely be zeroing in on if there yeah. is a preseason. Yeah. Let's just hope for the best. <laughs> uh, I hope we got it. <laughs> Fingers people. crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, that uh, that's the end of our uh, KC draft coverage. Just to cover the last couple picks, in round five, the Chiefs took defensive end Mike Dan out of Michigan. And in round seven, they took Tacarius Keys out of Tulane. Um, but we don't have enough time to go into those two guys. So you listeners at home, do your own research because we're tired of fucking doing it for you. Uh, just kidding. Anyways, let's finish out the show the way we've been finishing it out the last few weeks with our Pick 3 KC segment. Smitty, why don't you go and intro this week's Pick 3. Uh, so we decided to do bars this time. and. I'm going to go with my top three, um, the peanut south of, uh, south of the plaza. Um, that is, that's one of my favorite places. I think, yeah, I think it's like the oldest, one of the oldest bars in Kansas city, if not the oldest bar, I could be wrong. I just, I love walking in, uh, during, uh, during the Royals 2014 playoff, uh, push. And it was just, that was a blast to be at. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the OG spot for sure. You know, the, the South of the Plaza location. And then, um, 
for me, my other two would probably be would be Harpo's. Um, uh, not Harpo's. I just completely fucked that up. Uh, Harry's, my bad. Um, I love Harry's just because sitting out on the patio. I love that patio, that brick patio. Um, I just love sitting out there at night, like on, on nights like these. Like I would totally be at be at Harry's. Um, and then obviously Kelly's is is like the premium spot for sure. You know, it, it seems to be the uh, the hub for for our group of friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, two of my picks are the same as yours. Um, you know, I have definitely had some nights of debauchery at looking at the list. Uh, the list is the Peanut Kelly's, Harpo's, Buzzer Beach, the Well, Tanner's, and Harry's. Um, I've definitely had some nights of debauchery at all of those places. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't drink anymore, so the nights are a little less debaucherous, but still. There's debauchery nonetheless. Um, for me, uh, I'm going to give a special shout out to Tanner's at 75th and Warnell. It will not be in my pick three because it is no longer there. Um, but that was the OG hot spot for me and my fellow Waldo residents growing up, um, whether it was going with our parents when we were kids uh, or getting beers there as adults. Uh, after playing basketball or coaching or whatever it was, um, that was the OG hangout spot. Um, and it is now dead and gone because the two owners couldn't fucking agree on how they were going to split the profits anyways. But my <laughs> top three um, would be the peanut, just that nostalgia growing up in Brookside and Waldo. Um, the peanut, as you aged, was kind of like a rite of passage when you would go there by yourself, like in high school, and get wings. Um, it was the meeting spot for me and my buddies when we got back from college and like, yo, where are we going to get lunch? Let's go get wings at the peanut or a BLT. Um, and then in law school, like once we were done with final exams, it was just go to the peanut for wings and pitchers of beer and drown our sorrows in the fact that we think we failed, um, law school in, uh, in a pitcher of Budweiser at the peanut. Um, so that's my number one. Um, then obviously Kelly's, um, just one of my favorite places to go and just hang out with the boys. You're always going to run into somebody else, you know, when you go to Kelly's and you get stuck in these like random conversations on the smoking porch, you smoke a cigarette with some rando, even though you promised yourself like a month ago before with the last time you were drunk and smoked that you weren't going to do that anymore. Cause the next morning was just miserable. Um, so Kelly's is my number two. And then dark horse number three, I love buzzard beach just for like the people watching and the, like the assortment and cast of characters that goes into Buzzard Beach, and they have Bush Light on tap. In my previous drinking days, I thought that that was just badass. They had Bud Light or Bush Light on tap and a um, big Buck Hunter arcade game there. Um, so that that's those are my pick three: Buzzard Beach, Kelly's, and the Peanut. Wow. Who well, did you like? Real quickly, Tommy, you were talking about uh, Tanner's like. I always grew up like, I don't know if my dad was just a klepto thief of like, there was like at least 10 Tanner's cups in our cup, like cabinet. It, it, that was like the cup you use for juice or water, you know, you um, the chicken with talking the about nostalgia on growing up. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I have yeah. those cups at my house now. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think I have one too, actually. Yeah. Um, we didn't just take the cups though. Cause the cups you were free to take. Um, there were definitely nights where we like drunkenly took signs, like the plastic, like the, you know, the plastic. Nice, there it is. Dude, we would do that all the time in Columbia. We would take like the, 
uh, where are they? The bar mats on top of the bar. Yeah. They oh, said yeah. And then grab like flags. I remember one night having like this monster flag from Harpo's just like inside of my pants, just protruding at the seams <laughs> for probably about four hours. Just kept it there. That's good. Sawyer, what do you agree? Yeah. Uh, this is. I don't know, man. It's, this is the first time I'm even thinking about it. I didn't put any thought into this one. Uh, when it, I wanted it to hit me right in the face, like uh, Dennis Rodman and uh, Carmen Electra. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> in no particular order, like Kelly's will be on there just because we have. I have a lot of memories there with our friends, and um, that average there is probably higher than most places for me. Uh, I would throw. Uh, Man, the levee's pretty fun. I like going there. Uh, man, I haven't been to a bar even before this quarantine in a minute, so it's tough. Um, and so those are two. The third is tough. Like, is there a third bar like I really enjoy being at all that often? Um, I really, I'll just reserve three for like, I really like clubs more than bars. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that. There's that. Like for me, like the bar is, like, you know, I think I would fit right in, in in London or overseas where they have pubs where it's just like primarily drinking with your friends, and then like clubs where you can go out and like dance and get after it. So we'll leave three unnamed, but I think you you might have an idea of where I'm going with this one, gentlemen. Are you talking about mosaic? No, I didn't say no mosaic. <laughs> Neon wild. Uh, dude. Uh, oh, clubs. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get what you're saying. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> it's a. Uh, it might not be a bar per se, but it, I always have a great time there with my friends. <laughs> Honestly, some of my best late night memories are there. One time, I'll just fucking say, shady lady. Uh, <laughs> it was just uh, weird because I'm even. I'm not oh. even that type of guy. Well, no, like clubs, but I just like the. This is gonna sound really weird. It's just dark, and I like the. I like sitting there drinking with my friends. I'm not even like a very strip clubby guy, but uh, maybe I am. But I one night we went there, and I had to drive. I was sober. I had to drive everyone home. And one person lived in Waldo. One lived all the way up north, and uh, yeah. like off Berry Road. And I got home at 4:30 in the morning. Holy shit. <laughs> It's all for the love of the game, though, dude. What? It's all for the love of the game. I'm I'm our Michael Jordan at three in the morning. <laughs> do you, Do you guys Do you guys remember your, Do you guys remember your uh, first strip club experience? Yes, I was eighteen. Okay. Yeah. My 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 first stripper strip club experience was in St. Joe, Missouri. So if that says anything, so I bought my first lap dance immediately fell in love with the girl she like all of skin brunette <laughs> totally. and yeah i so i bought like two lap dances from her then um ended up going to another strip club like maybe three or four weeks later she's there again so what did i do i bought two more lap dances from her and i was like oh I'm, i was like i should say something but i'm not gonna Wait. say anything yeah and and 
probably halfway through the second dance, she was like, did I give you a, a lap dance at, at this other one? And I was like, yeah. And so I went, cause I Why told you? all my, co- I told all my coworkers that like about my first, you know, strip club experience and like how I fell in love with the stripper. And then like, I was so excited to go back to work the next day and be like, dude, like she is totally into me, man. She, <laughs> she, she remembered me from a month ago from a different strip club. I, I have uh, two. Yeah, so I I thought I thought like strip clubs were gonna be like that for from from now on, and it wasn't. It definitely you're, was not like that. You're rocking that T paint on the way home. I'm <sighs> with the stripper. Uh, I think I can't remember if it was a day of my 18th birthday or maybe like the one time afterward we went, but we went to one in Kansas City, pretty well known downtown Main Street. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we all know the one. But uh uh. One of the, we're sitting there, me, uh, I don't even know if I should say my friend's name, just three of us, and this girl walks over and went to high school with her, and we had just graduated high school, and she goes, the first thing this girl says, she goes, what the fuck are you guys doing here? <laughs> I said, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? This is one of those moments, like, she had the audacity to ask us that, like, I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Uh. I uh, I don't want to incriminate myself here, um, but I went to undergrad in St. Louis, and the east side is popping with uh, gentlemen's clubs. And uh, sir, you were with me uh, on a bachelor party in Vegas, so you know that I uh, it would be a lie for me to say that I'm not a fan. Listen, they, we call him Tommy Two Watch, and it ain't because he's looking at watches, brother. <laughs> 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 His eyes aren't even looking in the same direction when he's in those places. <laughs> Is that a lazy eye? No, he can just do that. He's got. We gotta snap him out of it every time. <laughs> All right, boys, that was a great show. Uh, haven't laughed like that in a while. Um, hopefully, listeners, you got a little kick out of out of tonight's show, and uh, we'll be back next week to bring you more last dance coverage, and we'll maybe get into some. More Border Wars, uh, Big 12, Historic, K-State, Mizzou, Kansas stuff next week. Um, because just Danny Manning just got fired, and I, I think that's really sad. So, he was horrible. Yeah. You know who fired him? John Curry, K-State, firing a K-State guy. I hate to see it, man. K-State guy. Insufferable, Mike. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but he was horrible at Wake Forest. Can, like, everyone can agree. He was horrible. Somebody they beat... Duke this year or UNC? I forget who it was. Anyway. Oh, see, they suck this year too. Um, all right, boys. Great podcast. Yep. Uh, if you guys like the show, subscribe. Uh, leave a comment. Unsubscribe. Rate. Resubscribe. You know the drill. Um, did you guys? Did you guys see some asshole gave us a one star rating on on Apple the other day? Like, what a prick! Fuck that guy. I've yeah. had a friend who I I haven't been texting back, and it might have been him. Way to get fucked, that guy. That's my guess. Yeah. We have our series. All right, boys. We'll find out who it is. But uh, like always, <laughs> take care. Stay safe out there, bo- uh, ladies and gents. And uh, Wait, how do you see the rating? I can't see. I have struggled to see the ratings. Uh, or the sorry, amount of games. Uh, trying to wrap the fucking show, dude. We're going to run over I'll time. show you. <laughs> I'll show you. Edit it out. All right, boys. See you next week. Peace.